Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Troy, can you bring up the house lights just a little? We're going to need them for something I'm getting ready to do here in just a moment. Uh, We're going to start our service a little different than normal. I'm going to give just a second to let the kids get on out of here and uh, so they don't get trampled or they don't trample us. And now, here's what we're going to do. I want to start the service today in a way I don't normally start a service. When I count to three, everybody has to play along in all of our locations, okay? And the only way you don't have to do this is if you're like, beyond the age of 75. You feel free to ignore everything I'm getting ready to say, all right? You've earned the right to just stay comfortable. Uh, But if you are younger than 75 and physically able, uh, when I count to three, I need everybody to physically stand up to your feet and move to a different seat. It can't be the seat right next to you. It's got to be significantly a different row. If you're in the back, I want you to move to the front. If you're in the front, I want you to move toward the back. If you're on this side, I want you to go to that side. Do we all understand the rules? Ready? One, two, three. Get up and move. Everybody. Everybody play along. If you don't, I'm going to mess with you. This should not take long. Doesn't require a lot of talking. If you're online watching right now, just find a different chair to sit in on your house, okay? Like, you can play along, too. Get out of your comfortable chair and move somewhere else. Oh, this is fun. This is fun. This is good. I thought you guys might protest this a little bit more, but you guys are playing along beautifully. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this, you can't sit up here on the stage. That's, that's not allowed. How are you all feeling right now? Good. You, why did I do that? Like, what's that about? Um, I, there was one simple purpose, and it wasn't even my idea, by the way. It was one of my staff members that had this great idea to start the service today by just making you move. Here's why we did it. Because I wanted to make you a little uncomfortable. Did that make you uncomfortable? It did. Here's why I know it did, because most of you were sitting in the exact same seat you were in last Sunday if you were in church or the last time you were in church. Like, that's your spot, and you're comfortable. We're creatures of habit. It's easy just to kind of get into a rut, and ruts are comfortable. And so I wanted to just start today by making you all a little uncomfortable. And it's making me uncomfortable because now I don't know who to look at. Like, I'm I'm used to seeing certain players in certain spots, and you've thrown me all off. So uh, this is good stuff. We're in a series called Tidings of Discomfort and Joy. And we're talking about the Christmas story. We're sharing the Christmas story. And here's kind of the point. Like so often when we look at the story of Christmas, it's done in this lens of, you know, this nostalgic, warm and fuzzy. If you know the Norman Rockwell painter, like that. Like it's got this warm, inviting glow when we look at the nativity scene. And it just, it's become kind of romanticized, and all we're doing is making the point that that's not really the Christmas story. The Christmas story is one of extreme discomfort. Like when God stepped into some people's lives and invited them to play a role in His story, it came at a very significant cost of discomfort. And so in the series, we're just kind of telling the story of Christmas through the eyes of some of the major characters of the story. Last week, we looked at like the star of the story, the Lord Jesus Christ. And from Philippians chapter 2, we heard the Apostle Paul tell us that our attitudes need to be the same as Jesus when it comes to how we do relationships with one another. That Jesus, um, we, we saw several things that Paul said in Philippians 2, like he gave up his divine rights. 
He set aside his divine rights and he emptied himself. He poured himself out. He became nothing on our behalf. He became a servant, we said. He, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And he humbled himself. He embraced humility. And, and he was obedient to death, Paul said, even to death on a cross. Like That's why he was born, was to give his life and to be buried in a tomb and to rise again, dealing with our sin problem. So last week we talked about Jesus. Today we're going to talk about Mary. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to join me in Luke chapter 1. And as you're turning there, um, I want to just make a quick announcement about next Sunday. This is so important you don't miss this. I'm going to give you another opportunity to get uncomfortable, okay? Next Sunday, this is fun, in the first time ever in Rescue Church history, we're having what we're calling Ugly Christmas Sweater Sunday. This is becoming a thing. Did you know this? Like, like ugly Christmas sweaters are like a real thing now, and people do these ugly Christmas sweater parties. We're doing one next Sunday, and we're going to have some fun with it. I'm going to tie it into my message next week as we talk about Joseph and look at his story, his part of the Christmas story. We're going to have a place next Sunday set up for you and your family or whatever to take a gaudy picture with your ugly Christmas sweater, and, and we'll put it on social media, and we'll have some fun with it. But come next Sunday ready for ugly Christmas sweater Sunday. If you show up and you're like, what are all these people wearing? You forgot the announcement, okay? So ugly Christmas sweaters next week. Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at a little bit of Mary's story and uh, answer the question, how did she get uncomfortable? Like, what was her discomfort? In Luke chapter 1, in verse 26, Luke writes this. He says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, we'll talk about Elizabeth in a minute, who she was, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. If you have a pen, just underline the word Nazareth. We'll talk about that. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. I, I want to just pause for a moment before we go any further with talking about Mary's discomfort. I just want to take a little side note here. Um, God showed up through his angel, Gabriel, he steps into Mary's life. And Mary is this woman who, by the way, like she's a young, probably teenage girl. And she was poor. She was young. She was a female, which in this culture, like if there was anybody who would have been viewed by others as not really usable by God for something significant, it would have been someone like Mary, just a young, poor girl and she's living in this town of Nazareth. And here's what we know about Nazareth. It was an insignificant town where important things did not happen. It, we looked at it a few weeks ago in our series going through John, where Nathaniel in John chapter 1, when, when he's introduced to, hey, come see this Messiah, he's like, Jesus of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was like that small town where ugh, nothing happens there. And yet... Keep this in mind, big picture. There's been about a 400-year period of silence from God speaking to his people through the Old Testament prophets. And there's this season of silence where God isn't really speaking. And now as we come into the New Testament, God is starting to reveal himself again in a fresh way as, as Jesus is getting ready to step into the scene of human history. And one of the very first people that God speaks to or reveals himself to through Gabriel the angel is this common, ordinary, poor girl in a small, insignificant town of Nazareth. You might be thinking, John, what does that have to do with anything? I just want to pause for a minute and say, Rescue Church family, 
This is becoming part of my life story, that it is my desire to share this as often and as much, with as many people as I can, that we serve a God who delights in doing important, big, significant things in small, unimportant, insignificant places through common, ordinary people just like you and me. And God has given this church, we're a little church in a little rural town in South Dakota, he has given us a huge vision to reach thousands of people for his kingdom by planting campuses in other small, insignificant little towns, little farming, rural, agricultural communities that are just made up of regular, ordinary people. Like in this day and age, Jerusalem was the center of, like, of Jewish life. Jerusalem was the center of worship and the things that happened around the Jewish people. It was all about Jerusalem. And in our world today, like there's places I would look at and think, just in my own human wisdom, I would think, man, if God's going to do something big, he's going to do it in a major city like Dallas, Texas. There are some amazing churches in Dallas, Texas. Like Colorado Springs, it just seems to be a hub of some spiritual, like, big ministries. I can think of some places in Tennessee where there's some amazing ministries and amazing churches. And I would think, man, if God was going to do something significant, he'd probably want to do it in a big place with people that are really talented and really gifted. And the truth is this, I think God does want to do big things in big places, but church, don't miss this. Part of what we're seeing in this story of Mary is that God is totally fine with doing big things in small places through common, ordinary people. And I just hope that's an encouragement to some people listening today that what if God wanted to do something awesome through our lives and through this ministry? What if God wanted to do something very significant and very important and very eternal in small, rural, agricultural towns through common, blue-collar people? I think he does. I think he's writing one of those stories right now, and I'm thrilled to get to be a part of it. So let's keep going here. Uh, this angel, Gabriel, shows up to Mary. Verse 28 says this. The angel went to her and said, and by the way, if you've got a pen, I want you to underline a couple phrases here. Greetings, you who are highly favored. I want you to underline that word or that phrase, highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Underline this next phrase. You have found favor with God. Okay? He goes on. He says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, I want you to notice what I had you underline there. Gabriel tells Mary, basically, you have God's favor. God's favor is upon you. And yet, don't miss this church, and yet, God was getting ready to ask Mary to do the most uncomfortable, most painful act of obedience she had ever done in her life. Discomfort and God's favor. You have God's favor, and yet I'm about to ask you to get really uncomfortable. If you keep reading in Luke chapter 1, we won't, we won't get to this part of the Christmas story today, but after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus to the temple, and while they're at the temple, they meet this old man by the name of Simeon who's been waiting to see the promised Messiah before he dies. And, and he speaks this prophetic word over, over Mary. 
And he basically says to, to Mary, let me read it here. Did I skip too far in my notes? I think I did. Pause that. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Pause that. Here's the verse I wanted to read, and it's not on the screen. This is Elizabeth. I told you I'd tell you Elizabeth's story. Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, and she also was pregnant, of kind of a supernatural pregnancy as well. Who knows who she was pregnant with, by the way? Who was the baby inside her womb? John the Baptist, right? And that's an interesting story as well. But we're going to find in Luke chapter 1 when Mary goes to see Elizabeth and spends some time with her. Elizabeth declares this word of favor over Mary as well. And Elizabeth is going to basically say about Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child in your womb. So again, like Mary, you have been blessed by God. And the baby you're carrying is extremely blessed by God. And here's the point I want you guys to see is that both Mary and the baby in her womb were getting ready to embark on an extremely uncomfortable journey. And yet God is saying, you're blessed and you're favored. Could it be, church, could it be that God is actually okay with us experiencing discomfort for his sake? I think it is. I think that's the main point that I want to share with you today if you want to write this down. It's simply this. Sometimes God's favor and blessings bring discomfort. And I don't know about you, but I'll make the confession up here, and I guess my guess is you're very similar to me because we're humans and human nature hasn't changed that much. I like being comfortable. Hi, my name's John, and I like to be comfortable. And yet I serve a God who sometimes is okay asking me to be uncomfortable. Well, what do I do in my natural human tendency? I resist situations in which I'm asked to be uncomfortable. Could it be that when I reject discomfort, I'm actually rejecting God's favor and God's blessing? Sometimes I think it is. Sometimes I think we might miss out on a level of God's favor and blessing because we go where it's comfortable instead of embracing the discomfort of the story God's inviting us to step into. And I said last week, uh, and I want to be really clear again, I'm not saying in this series, like the, the point of this series isn't to say that it's wrong to be comfortable or like when you go home today, you should sit on a hard wooden bench in your house instead of a soft couch. That's not the point. I'm saying God isn't going to ask you to get uncomfortable just for discomfort's sake. God's going to ask you to get uncomfortable from time to time for the cause of Christ. And, and you need discernment to know the difference. And when Jesus is inviting us to step into a story that forces us beyond what feels comfortable and safe and predictable, I'm just saying, like, those are the times we need to learn to say yes and embrace that level of discomfort. All right, so how did Mary get uncomfortable? Let's answer that question because I, I'm here to tell you she, she had all kinds of discomfort to deal with. The, the one thing I want to point out is this. I think I put these on your handouts. If not, you can write them down as I say them. But I would suggest that Mary faced a lot of public ridicule and shame for playing her part in the story. The Bible doesn't say a lot about this. Um, we're going to see a little bit of it next week as we look into Joseph's story. But let's just think through this, church. Let's put ourselves in the shoes, if we can, or the sandals of a young teenage girl in this culture and if you have daughters this will be probably even easier for you to go here imagine your teenage daughter comes home to you and says um 
So, dad and mom, here's the thing. Like, I'm going to have a baby, um, but I'm still a virgin. I haven't been with anybody, but I'm pregnant. Oh, and by the way, it's totally cool because it's supernatural, and the baby I'm carrying inside me is the son of God. Any parents out there struggling to believe that a little bit? I'm like, yeah, right. Honey, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. Let's be honest. What's going on here? I don't, think it's, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say, the Bible does not say this, so just know that, but I'm guessing, I'm reading into the text a little bit, I'm guessing that Mary lost relationships for the rest of her life by choosing to embrace this story and play her role in the story. I have no trouble imagining that there were probably some close friends around her where I can totally hear a parent saying to their daughter, you will not see that Mary again, you will not hang out with Mary anymore. What she has done is shameful, and she's saying it's the Son of God. See, we have the ability to look back in history. We have the, the, the gift of hindsight to look back and say, wow, like, it, there's a lot of evidence to support these claims. But if, put yourself in Mary's story and imagine the public shame and the ridicule she faced by saying yes to this. We know that she almost lost her fiancé, Joseph. He almost divorced her. And their, their level of engagement was way different in this culture than in ours. So, like, it was way more formal. So we're going to see next week that Joseph was on the verge of quietly, because he was a good man and didn't want to cause her, you know, more shame and embarrassment than she probably already was facing. He was just going to quietly divorce her. She almost lost Joseph as a result of saying yes to playing this part in the story. There's the obvious discomfort of childbirth, pregnancy and childbirth, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious to read into. I know some ladies that say, they actually say they enjoyed being pregnant. I have yet to meet a lady that says she enjoyed giving birth to their child. And ladies, I'm just going to say this. Often I say this very jokingly. Um, you know, I'll, I'll like kind of tongue-in-cheek say, oh, childbirth isn't that big of a deal, right? Like you just go to the hospital, you watch some TV, you have some food, you come home with a baby. I've seen it done three times, not that hard, right? I say that just to get that, you know, eye roll from the women in the audience and they shoot me their glaring daggers. But the truth is, ladies, can I just tell you honestly, you all are warriors that have given birth unbelievable seriously and there's um, god thank you for not asking me to play that part because i couldn't do it they call it they call it labor we just sang about a labor of love i don't call it labor i've seen it i call it torture like if it was my hospital to name i would say oh they're up on the torture and delivery floor it's not labor and delivery like it's this is horrible right and i know mary's not alone many 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 women throughout history have have played that part and played their role right there but but that's obvious level of discomfort to point to that. A another thing I would point out, like, um, this is me, again, reading into the text a little bit. The Bible doesn't say this. I'm just trying to imagine that Mary was asked to give birth with no family support around her. Just by the way it all played out. She's in Bethlehem for the census that was taking place. That all the holiday inns are full, the ones with the water parks filled up first. There was no hotel rooms available. And so they find themselves in a stable, and that's the night that Jesus is born. And she has Joseph there, and a little bit later, we'll see it on Christmas Eve, a bunch of ragtag shepherds showed up in the torture and delivery room, right? And like, what are you guys doing here? But I'm just guessing that even in this day and age, 
it probably was a desire to have some level of family support around you. I think most girls, if they have a good relationship with their mom, would really like their mom to be there when they're giving birth to their children. Whether she's right there in the delivery room or not, maybe not. But waiting in the wings for the support, for the celebration. And Mary was alone, other than being with Joseph. Like This wasn't comfortable. This wasn't easy. But more than any of that, she had the danger of the, the threat of King Herod, which we're going to look at that next week, where King Herod is like, we're, we're killing all the babies under two years old. He hears this report of the king of the Jews that's been born. He's insecure. He feels threatened. I'm going to wipe out this king before he ever gets a chance to take his throne. We'll look at that next week. So Mary lived with that threat. But, but more than any of those other things, I'm telling you, like, Mary had this reality that her son was ultimately born to die on a cross. I don't know if you caught it in that music video that, that the band shared with us this morning, but there was that footage where they had that, that cow for slaughter in the temple. Did you, did you notice that? And the, the foreshadowing of the fact that Jesus was born as an atoning sacrifice. He came to die. I was so excited to preach this point that I got to the part of Simeon a few minutes early, all right? Remember a few minutes ago when I was talking about Simeon? Mary and Joseph take their baby to the temple. And in Luke, this is in Luke chapter 2. Simeon speaks this word of prophetic word over Jesus and over Mary. And he says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. In, in other words, like this isn't warm and fuzzy Hallmark greeting cards. Congratulations on your baby. This is, this is Simeon saying, hey, this, this baby that you're holding in your arms right now, he's, he's going to be a divisive figure. Some people will be drawn to him. Others will reject him. Um, and by the way, Mary, your heart, your soul is going to bleed like you never thought possible. Well, what's he talking about there, do you think? I think he's probably pointing to the fact that the day was coming about 33 years later when Mary would sit there in a crowd of angry, in a mob of angry People that have been stirred up into this frenzy, screaming out, crucify him. And she watches her son. And moms, they never really stop being your baby boys, do they? Even at 33 years old. She watches the boy that she gave birth to endure an unbelievable, torturous beating. Led through the streets of Jerusalem outside the city to a hill called Golgotha where they nailed him to a cross. And he is impaled on the cross in front of the screams and cheers and laughter and mocking of thousands of people. And she watches her son die. And yet, Gabriel is here telling her, you're blessed and you're highly favored. But this is the part you get to play. This baby boy is born to die and you get to give birth to him and you get to love him and you get to raise him and, and you get to watch him give his life. For your own salvation. 
I don't think Mary knew all of that. I don't think it's possible that in this moment when Gabriel is showing up, you know, it's kind of flashback to Luke chapter 1. I don't think Mary can see all of this. I'm guessing on some level she can see some of it. I'm guessing on some level she's like, wow, this sounds like it's way more than what I would ask for beyond my comfort zone. But you know what? I, I don't know. By the way, I don't know if you've ever thought of this. I've thought this before many times as I've led this church. There's, there's kind of ideas that have come to us or different levels of our growth where I've kind of said, Lord, why didn't, why didn't you just tell me this is where we were going to be? Because then I could have done better things to get us here a lot sooner. Have you ever thought that? Like, God, why didn't you show me this back, back here? I think the answer is if God actually showed us the level of discomfort he might ask us to pay, we may never take the first step. And, and sometimes I think God gives us enough light to take the next step, but he doesn't show us everything, the good or the bad. And so I don't think Mary had any way of knowing the degree of discomfort that she would have to endure to play this role. But let's look how she responds. Let's go back to Luke chapter 1, the next verse there where we left off, verse 34. Look at this, her only question is one of methodology she just says this in verse 34 how will this be mary asked the angel since i am a virgin the angel answered the holy spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you so the holy one to be born will be called the son of god even elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month uh, this is a great word for no word from god will ever fail. Real quick, I just want to, I want you to notice Mary's response. It's just a question of like, how, how's this going to work? I'm, I'm a virgin and you're telling me that I'm going to give birth to a son. It's a fair question. How? How are we going to do this? And the angel explains, essentially, if I can sum, summarize Gabriel's words, it's going to be supernatural, Mary. Like, this is going to be a supernatural birth unlike any other because you're going to get pregnant, and it's not going to be through the way every other person gets pregnant. It's, it's going to be the Son of God that you're bringing into the world. Now, by the way, I, I should just speak to this, because some right now, probably in our audience or watching online, some people are like, you see, guys, this is why I can't go with you Christians, because you all believe some really wacky stuff. Like the virgin birth, really? Do you really believe literally that Jesus was born of a virgin I'm just going to answer for myself. You have to answer for yourself, but here's where I'm at. Yeah, I actually believe this stuff's for real. It's why I often say I believe the greatest miracle in all of Scripture, if you're going to believe in any of them, the greatest miracle in all of Scripture is what? It's Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke. He said, let there be light, and pff, there's light. Which, by the way, to this very day, that the universe continues to expand. It's almost like there was an origin where there was this massive explosion of light. And it continues to this very day. Science confirms that. If there actually is a God who exists outside of time and space and matter, who has the power to speak with his mouth, let there be light, and light comes into existence... If the, the account of Genesis chapter 1 is true, every other miracle in the Bible is completely plausible, including the virgin birth. If I serve a God who can create the heavens and the earth, I have no problem believing in a God that can supernaturally put the Son of God into the womb of a virgin named Mary. 
So I, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm not going to struggle with that one. Yeah, I believe this stuff is absolutely for real. But Mary's response was just one of like, how is this going to work? I want to contrast that with another story. We're not going to take the time to look at this because the Vikings have a really big game today and I need to get back to it, okay? Um, but if, if you check it out, no, I'm for real. Like they, they're playing the Falcons. It's a big deal today. So be in prayer for the Vikings. But if you go earlier in Luke chapter 1, remember I told you about Elizabeth. Who knows the name of her husband? Zechariah. And what was his role? Like, what was his title? What was his position? He was the high priest. He wasn't just a priest. He was the high priest. And so this was before Gabriel came to see Mary and let her know, you're about to give birth to a son. He also visited the high priest. Now, keep in mind, the high priest, his job is to kind of be the go-between from the people to God. He's supposed to be the one who speaks on God's behalf to the people. And when the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah, your wife, who's really old and has never been able to conceive, she's going to conceive your son, and you're going to call him John. Zechariah, the high priest, responds with doubt. And he, he's almost like laughing, at her, no way, like this can't be. And so Gabriel says to Zechariah, all right, you're about to see. And until your son is born, you're not going to be able to talk. I'm just going to shut your mouth and you won't be able to speak a word. That's unbelievable, man. I don't think I could do that for a day, let alone for however many months he had to go until John the Baptist was born without speaking. But he was, he was kind of dealt with for his doubt. The high priest responds with doubt. Poor, common, ordinary Mary, this teenage girl, her only question was just one of, well, how's this going to work? Gabriel tells her it's going to be supernatural, God's going to be involved in this thing, and you're going to give birth in a way that no one else ever has. Well, you're going to conceive in a way that no one else ever has. And then I want to show you Mary's response. Last verse of the day, verse 38. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I want you to notice that Mary's ultimate response to God's word was... A response of submission that she submitted to God's plan for her life she submitted to the invitation to get uncomfortable and I don't know if I put this on your notes or not but it's a really good phrase if not you should write it down there and that's simply this that salvation comes through submission literally in this case the last two weeks we've seen these two players so far Jesus and Mary have both had to demonstrate submission to the will of the Father in order to bring salvation into the world. In order for Mary to play her part, she had to submit to bring Jesus Christ into the world. Salvation comes through submission. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father in order to bring salvation to the world. And I'm just here to tell you today that same truth applies right now, that salvation will not come to you until you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to his authority and acknowledge him for who he is. He is the one true living God. He is the way, the truth, the life. There's all kinds of other truth claims in the world. And Jesus says, it's me and nothing else. And without submitting to that, there is no salvation for you. Salvation comes through submission. It doesn't happen because your grandma believes for you. It doesn't happen because some church that you sat in early on in life had the right denominational title above the door. None of that matters. 
Salvation comes through your submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and the gift that he's made possible to you on the cross of Calvary. And I would just ask the question today in our time together, have you submitted to the Lord Jesus? Have you invited him into your life? Have you accepted him as your Lord and as your Savior? Have you surrendered to him? The message of the gospel is a message of surrender. I believe right now, whether it's in the Flandreau campus or online, I believe that I'm speaking to some souls that God would say to you this morning, you are living in sinful, arrogant pride, and you need to surrender your life before me. I am God and you are not. I am the authority. I have the right to tell you how to live. And in your self-sufficiency, in your pride, in your sin, you think you don't need me. And I believe Jesus would just speak that word over your heart and over your soul today that salvation comes through submission. When we bow our knee before the authority of Jesus and we receive him as our Lord and Savior. Something else I want us to notice, church, in Mary's story that I think is worth noting is the fact, like I kind of alluded to earlier, she submitted to God's plan before she could see how it all was going to play out. Again, have you had those times in your life where you feel like, God, why didn't you just show me all of this ahead of time? That would have made my life so much more easy and more comfortable. I think we're learning that God's, his, our comfort is not his highest priority. Like there's times he's okay with us embracing a level of discomfort. But I, I'm thinking of that psalm that says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And just think of this analogy, this word picture that sometimes in a dark you know, you're walking through the woods at night and it's dark or you're out somewhere and there's no ambient light. You just have your one little flashlight. Or go old school, you've got this old lantern. You have enough light to see your next step. Maybe your next two steps. But you can't see the whole path. And sometimes, I think, oftentimes, God's presence in our life is kind of like that. He doesn't just show us all the steps and line it all up and we obey only when we see the beginning to the end see god has that vision he's the alpha and the omega he is the beginning and the end i don't have that vision i have the choice of obeying god right now for the next step that he's showing me i can't see what next year is going to look like i don't know what tomorrow is going to bring i can't see how this whole thing's going to work out i just know god's inviting me to take that step and it feels scary and it feels uncomfortable and i'm just wondering am i speaking to anyone this morning that is there a step in your life that god's putting in front of you and going take the step i'm inviting you i'm opening the door step on out and you're going this feels scary this feels uncomfortable are you willing to do it did we lose my mic you got me here sorry do i need to preach this whole thing again are you guys still with me you with me all right you guys got me. So that was really all I had to say. I was getting ready to pray and be done. Is, is there a step that God's inviting you to take in your life? And if so, take it. Submit to him in salvation and submit to him in that next step, whatever that next step may be that God may be asking you to take. So I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and, and just invite the Holy Spirit to illuminate your heart, convict you of anything in your heart and your life that needs to be dealt with. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this time that you've given to us. Thank you for the example of Mary's story as we see her submission upon your invitation for her to play a, a critical role in the Christmas story. She's the mother of Jesus. And on one hand, that is a position of favor and blessing. But Lord, we realize that it came at a very real price of discomfort and pain. 
And God, thank you that um, in our lives, you, you're not necessarily, your highest priority is not our comfort and our lack of pain necessarily, that sometimes you work in and through discomfort and through our pain to bring about your ultimate best for our lives and, and to use us in your greater plan to touch the lives of other people. I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone right now today watching or listening to this message that does not yet know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be their day of submission. That your spirit would just be convicting their heart and showing them like you're living in pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency and you need to repent of that and you need to get on your knees before Jesus and submit to his authority and acknowledge him as God and King and Savior and Lord of all. I pray that there would be eternal fruit that comes out of this message today, Lord. And then, God, I, I thank you that you are a personal God, that you are actively at work in the lives of every single person in the sound of my voice. In many different ways, the details look different. So I don't know, Lord, if I'm speaking to any specific thing. That's not me. That's your spirit right now that's tapping the shoulders of some people and saying, that's the step I'm inviting you to take. And the step for them may be different than the step of the person sitting next to them. But Lord, through your Holy Spirit, I know that you are speaking to the hearts of your people and showing us, take that step. Get uncomfortable. Lord, thank you that you desire to use common, regular, ordinary people that serve an amazing, extraordinary God. And thank you that you're not turned off by the fact that we live in a small place, in a small town. Lord, you have a heart for the Nazareths of the world even today, those small, insignificant places. Lord, you love those people. And I thank you that you've given this church a heart and a vision to reach those people. Thank you for using us in that process. God, I just pray that you would bless this church, that you would have your way in our hearts, whatever that looks like in the days to come, in the weeks ahead. Lord, we just give ourselves to you. It's in your precious and holy name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Cast Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.